Our text this morning comes out of the Gospel of Mark. I would invite you and encourage you to turn to chapter 11 with your Bible, your phone, your tablet, or one of the chair Bibles. Hopefully you can find near you if you don't have any of those. You will find it on page 847. Um, We're nearing, as has been mentioned a couple times already this morning, uh, today would be Palm Sunday. Uh, We're nearing the end of the Gospels. A lot is leading up to this. Um, Just before this, we see uh, Jesus making it clear that he is going to be Uh, delivered to the Gentiles and mocked and killed. They don't get it. James and John are asking for a special place on Jesus' side, which causes a little trouble within the disciples. Then Jesus heals a man of blindness, which of course is shocking to everyone. And that leads us right up to where we are now starting at Old Chapter 1, verse 1, or chapter 11, verse 1, pardon me. Uh, His disciples, after Jesus had just healed the blind man, now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a a, a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing? Why are you untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem And went into the temple. And when he had looked around and saw everything, it was already late. And he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Here ends the reading of God's most holy word. Thank you, Tim. Let's pray together as we get started. Father, thank you for your word, the living word, your written word. Thank you for the way that you speak through your word. Thank you for your spirit that gives us the ability to hear and to understand and to believe and obey. And I pray today that you would enable me to say what your word says, but even more, I pray that your spirit would enable all of us to hear what you intend for us to hear. May we receive it gladly, and may we live according to it. And we'll thank you for the way that you'll work. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, Jesus has a way of turning everything upside down. Um, we learn here that the greatest among you will be a servant. The, the greatest will be a servant. The poor in spirit will be the ones who are given the kingdom, is another thing that Jesus has taught us. He says those who mourn and weep shall be comforted. They're the ones that are comforted. The, the meek will inherit the earth. Those who are persecuted for righteousness are the ones who are most blessed. And certainly what we refer to as the triumphal entry of Jesus. Um, to, to the Jew, when, when the dust settled in Jerusalem on the day that we call Good Friday, didn't look like anything they were really expecting of this promised righteous king. Their promised righteous king, and at the end of the day, on that Good Friday, their promised king was dead. So why then do we refer to Palm Sunday as the triumphal entry of Jesus when he's going to go there to die. Well, let's look in, in Mark chapter 11, and as we begin with verse 1, we learn there that Jesus approached Jerusalem. Verse 1 again reads, Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage, and to Bethany in the, at the Mount of Olives. Now, this was on the east side of Jerusalem. Bethphage and Bethany were adjacent to the Mount of Olives. And then the Kidron Valley was between them. Shelley and I had the privilege to be there in 2018. We were on the Mount of Olives and we visited what is thought to be the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed. And then we, we walked down that steep road from the Mount of Olives and into and through the Kidron Valley and up into the city of Jerusalem. We, we walked along a road that may have been where Jesus rode the colt of this donkey in this triumphal entry that we're considering today. The thing that I want you to see in this text is that Jesus was willing to come to Jerusalem. Luke 9 says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Uh, he, he wasn't tricked into going to Jerusalem at this time. He was determined, purposeful, intentional, intentional about going to Jerusalem. And he came... He came knowing that he would suffer. We know that because of what Mark tells us in chapter 10, verse 32 through 34. Uh, this is what he said, Jesus said to the disciples leading up to this time. Um, and when you read this, it's like Jesus could not have been more explicit. In verses 32 through 34, we're, we're told this, what he said to the disciples, and I quote, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Pretty explicit 
pretty clear. Um, as Tim mentioned, though, they, they were not given eyes to see that, to understand that, the significance of that. It was so counter to what they were expecting of their king. Now, this was at least the third time where Jesus explicitly predicted his death to the disciples. Now, I think it seems quite reasonable that the, the, the disciples would have some questions for Jesus after him saying what he, in fact, did say. Um, one of those questions might have been, how, how can the Son of Man be killed when he came to be our ruler, our, our righteous king? That would have been a good question to ask. But instead of asking that kind of question, listen to what they asked, beginning in verse 35 of Mark 10. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. They, they noticed the question that was out of place and the hearts that it revealed. And they were bothered by that. Verse 42. And James called them, excuse me, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them but it shall not be so among you but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for me for many now maybe Maybe James and John asked this question because they thought that they might be dying with Jesus if he was really going to die. In verse 32, we're told that the crowd following Jesus as he went resolutely toward Jerusalem, they did so with fear. They followed him with fear. But even if that were true, the ten other disciples were still indignant with the question that James and John had because it showed their self-serving heart. Um, we, we want seats of honor closest to your glory is what they were asking. And Jesus helps them to see that kind of heart doesn't reflect his heart. And he says, if you want to be a ruler like those of the Gentiles, in other words, those that don't know God, if you want to be that kind of a ruler, then you can continue on with your self-serving heart. You, you can throw your weight around to get what you want, but please know that in my kingdom, the greatest among you will be a servant. 
And if you want to be great, you must be a servant. Uh, then Jesus says, for even the Son of Man, the Son of Man came not to be served, or excuse me, yeah, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus was willing to serve. That, that's why he came to the earth. That's why Jesus, as the Son of Man, came to Jerusalem intentionally. He, he intentionally came knowing that he would give his life as a ransom for many. Um, th this thought is really quite amazing to think about. Jesus, fully God and fully man, who deserved all honor and glory and power, willingly, with joy, suffered and died as a substitute for rebel sinners. Je Jesus deserved to be served, but instead purposefully and intentionally came to serve. Jesus came to Jerusalem knowing that he would be rejected and condemned by his own people and that he would be turned over to the Gentiles and that they would mock him and spit on him and kill him. Those things didn't surprise Jesus. They, they didn't catch him off guard. Jesus knew full well how he would be treated, and even more, how he would drink the cup of God's wrath down to the very last drop. His father's wrath would be exhausted in full upon the son. He would, he would absorb all of the father's wrath for all of the sin of those that he came to save. Jesus knew this. And yet Jesus willingly came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What, what's interesting uh, is this. Right in the middle of this narrative, just before this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, they were coming up the road from Jericho. Now, that's a steep journey because Jericho is a little bit over... 800 feet below sea level, and Jerusalem is over 2,500 feet above sea level. And so it is a journey from Jericho up to Jerusalem. Um, and here we, we learn how Jesus is, and at this very time we learn how Jesus is able to heal. Verse 46, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar with the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now, amazingly, 
Jesus displays his power as he gave sight to the blind. But the question is this, what is the purpose of this miracle right here at this point in the Gospels? What was the Spirit's intent? It's not just to reveal that Jesus has the authority and power to heal. He's performed many miracles earlier in his earthly ministry. However, here the Spirit reminds us that Jesus has the power to do supernatural things. He's not weak. He's powerful, and yet, as Jesus set his face resolutely to come to Jerusalem, he did so willingly to die. He would appear weak as he hung on that cross, but it was really meekness because it's power under control. Meekness is the power to put the needs of other people ahead of your own. Jesus Jesus had all of the power needed to avoid the cross. But it took even more power and glory to willingly go to the cross and pay the price in full to, to ransom rebel sinners. And with that meekness in mind, Jesus entered Jerusalem. Fittingly, fittingly he was riding... Uh, humbly on the colt of a donkey. Listen how this came about. Verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, What are you doing? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found the colt tied at a door outside in the city, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to him, What are you doing, untying this colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let him go. Now, the instructions given here to secure this colt of a donkey reveals that Jesus was really in complete control. He knew what was going on. He knew what was about to happen. I, I, I don't think what happened with the cult was prearranged because people asked, well, what are you doing? Uh, instead, I, I think it seems it was probably preordained. It was God's plan. And Jesus had the power and the will to carry out that plan. Jesus was revealing his power. And yet, Jesus did not reveal himself as a powerful king riding on a white horse in all of that power and glory. Now, that day is coming. But on this day, as he was riding on a donkey, God reveals that the king is coming to save, but he did so in humility. And this fulfills what was prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and I quote, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." So here, here is your promised king, uh, righteous and having salvation, yet 
riding a donkey, which is a symbol of humility. Verse 7, and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So, Jesus came riding the colt of a donkey in humility. Don't miss that. Yet, he received the praise that was fitting for a king. Um, as King Jesus came riding on this donkey, God moved in the hearts of the crowd. I, I don't think it's clear if the crowds had full understanding of what they were doing, but in a very fitting way, they began to lay garments and palm branches on the road, and they began to cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, in Luke chapter 19, verse 39, the Pharisees had asked Jesus to rebuke his disciples because they knew that it was not fitting for mere men to receive praise and worship as he was receiving. And then Jesus answered, if they are silent, the rocks will cry out. I'll make the rocks cry out. So here, cloaks and branches were placed on the ground before Jesus. It was a way of showing honor to the king, like rolling out the red carpet. A Davidic conqueror should be greeted in this triumphal entry just like this. It was absolutely fitting for Jesus to receive this praise. This phrase, Hosanna, originally meant Please save. And it's the kind of thing that we would say if we couldn't swim and someone tossed us into the deep end of a pool. We, we'd, we'd just cry out, help, please save me. And, and it comes from Psalm 118, verse 25 through 26, which says, save us, we pray, O Lord. We pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And certainly... God is a God that is able to save, and that's why Hosanna has become this declaration of praise. Salvation. Salvation has come. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. This is, this is what they were expecting. The, the Old Testament kept looking forward to uh, this revealing of the righteous king that was promised to fulfill that promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Um, no, no king was found for a thousand years, but now Jesus is revealed by God as the promised righteous king to fulfill to, uh, that promise that was made to David. Um, the, the, the question is, would he come into Jerusalem for the purpose of overthrowing the Romans to establish his righteous rule 
in his kingdom with Jerusalem at the center. Is that what he was going to come to Jerusalem to do? That is what they wanted. That's what they were expecting. They longed for this, to overthrow the Romans and to establish that geopolitical kingdom centered there in Jerusalem. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus gave them something bigger and better than that. Jesus came to die in our place and to be raised to life for us, bringing salvation to God's people. A a people made up of believing Jews and believing Gentiles from every tribe and language on the face of the earth. A people who worship in spirit and in truth, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Wisconsin or along the banks of the Amazon in Brazil or in the Damuk Valley there in Romania, but from every nation and every people, we will live under the sweet and strong authority, rule of King Jesus, even today. And He promises to be with us by His Spirit until He comes again. And when He comes again, He will bring judgment to those who stubbornly persist in their unbelief and He will bring salvation fully to those who are eager for His return, taking us to live with Him on the new heavens and the new earth where everything and then everything will be renewed forever. So that that is why we call it the triumphal, we call this, uh, refer to Palm Sunday as the triumphal entry of Jesus. He didn't come to overthrow the Romans. He, he came to do something far greater, to form a people and to make a people who live for the praise of His glory. So here, here, is, here is the point that I want you to take away from today. It's this. Your, your salvation is the work of a humble and glorious King who served you by giving His life as a ransom to set you free. It's a, it's a remarkable thing. Your salvation is the work of a humble and glorious King who served you. He laid down His life for you to ransom you, to pay the ransom price in full so that you could be set free from the power of sin and death. And, and here... Because of that, here is what Jesus wants and deserves from you. Number one, to receive him as your king. Recognize who he is. He is the the one who has been given authority by the Father to reign with all all authority. There is no authority over him except the Father who gave him that charge to reign as a righteous king. It was promised. The Old Testament kept looking for a righteous king. When will a righteous king come? And Jesus came. And when he came, he didn't come and overthrow his, uh, the government of the Romans. Instead, he came and he laid down his life and died and took the punishment for your sin upon himself so that you can be restored to a right relationship to the Father and enjoy him in this life and in the life to come. So recognize Him for who He is, the the Son of God who was sent to be that righteous King who didn't come 
to be served, but to serve. There's a huge difference. And if you receive Him as a king, you, you need to cry out to Him uh, as the crowd did. Save me! Save me, O king! Um, have mercy on me, O Lord, I pray. That, that has to be our constant, our constant cry. And secondly, obey Him as your king. So, He is a king. He has begun to reign. Ephesians 1, 20-22 talks about how he, he has been given all authority to reign as king in this age and in the age to come. So, His reign as a king has begun. And He's reigning redemptively today. There's a day coming when Jesus will return and when He returns, uh, His kingdom will be fully manifest. But today... He has authority to speak into our life and to command us how, how to live. And we know that He's good. He's a faithful, good shepherd that desires only what is best for us and what is best for God's glory. And we recognize that His authority is a good authority. We, we live in a day where there's... I don't know, when you, when you speak of authority, normally it's... It's spoken of in a derogatory way. It's bad. Uh, authority, questioned authority. Constantly questioned authority. And so there's this, there's this idea that you can't trust any authority. I want you to know that Jesus is a righteous king. He always conforms to the will of his Father. There's no darkness in him. He has all authority over all things. And we can trust him. He's good. Um, and so he calls us to live under his powerful but sweet authority. And, and we, we obey him. And then thirdly, we honor him as our king. And that certainly calls us to be humble as he was humble. It calls us to recognize that what matters most in life is not putting our will at the center of all things. I think pride is an expression of us uh, focusing on what we want and what we think we deserve more than anything else. And Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came in humility, and when we receive Him as King and when we obey Him as King, we'll want to honor Him in our lives. And one of the ways to honor Him is to be humble. And that means that what matters most to us is what He desires for us. What matters most to us is His will, not our will. We recognize that we're going to be most happy in life when we live out His will for our lives. And if His will for our lives means that we have to die to self, we're willing to do that because we want to honor Him as our King. We don't want to boast about self. We want to proclaim and make known His greatness. Humility makes much of God. Not, not ourselves. It makes much of God. And when we receive Him and obey Him, what He will produce in us, what His Spirit will produce is this, this passionate, desire to be humble before him and to let the world know that he alone is worthy 
of worship. And, and secondly, if we want to honor him as a king, as our king, we have to be a servant. Um, it's interesting in John's gospel, um, the, what's recorded for us in John chapter 13, as Jesus was preparing for uh, the, the crucifixion, you remember what he did in John 13? He washed the disciples' feet. Um, it, it was, he did that as a symbol. He did that just to be a living parable, to demonstrate um, what the significance of his death on a cross was all about. That, that he came to serve, to, to take that lowest position of being a servant um, to meet our greatest need. And so Jesus came in humility. He came to serve and he calls us to be servants. He calls us to lay down our life for the good of, of other people. Um, and it's a privilege to be a servant. It, there's, there's no greater place to be, is what Jesus teaches us, than to be at the feet of someone, serving them and meeting their needs. Uh, when, when we willingly humble ourselves and crucify self, die to self, so that we can meet the needs of other people. God's glorified in that, because that's what Jesus came to do. We reflect uh, his character in that way. So if you want to honor him as your king, um, you, you need to be humble. You need to be filled with humility. You need to serve. And then lastly, you need to sacrificially give. Um, where... We're, we don't consider it too much. We, we live in a culture that says you shouldn't have to do that much. Take care of your own life. Um, I, Shelly and I were told that by numerous people, not, not you, numerous people that when we cared for dad, you, you shouldn't, you, you shouldn't do, have to do that. You know, there are nursing homes that will care for your dad. You, you're giving up too much of your life. Your schedule's being disrupted. Um, there are things that you want to do that you can't do. And I want you to know it was a privilege and it was a joy to lay that aside and to be able to say, I, I want to honor my father. We want to care for him. And if it's hard, if it requires something of us, we're willing to do it. We're willing to pay that price sacrificially. And it's a joy to, it's a joy to do that. And uh, when Dad was in the hospital last uh, Tuesday a week ago, uh, they were expecting to do a procedure uh, to remove fluid from his lungs. They weren't able to do it. And so the doctor came in and said, well, you can go home. And um, if you know my dad, if you remember my dad, he's kind of quiet. And when he said, you can go home, he went, hallelujah. And he said to the doctor, you're the man. And he gave him a fist bump. Because dad wanted to go home. And he wanted to die at home. And it was a privilege for Shelly and I to care for him at home. And, and, I'll, and I'll be honest with you, um, you know, as we were going into last weekend, uh, we didn't, you know, my dad has, has rallied again and again and we had no idea how long it would be before the Lord would call him home. And uh, there were times where we were kind of tired. Um, 
You know, you don't sleep as well. You're listening for, uh, you know, one of the things we asked Dad to do, you have to push his button. He has a button to, to, if he needs help. Push the button if you need to get up in the, in the night and go to the restroom. And he would ask, well, do I really have to push the button? I, I, I can do it. Do I, I don't want to disrupt you. I said, no, Dad, we, we want you to disrupt us. We want to get up. We want to come, and we want to take you to the restroom. And I said, okay, if that's what you want. Um, but it was a privilege to do that. Um, there are times that we grew tired, but it was, it was a privilege to do that. Uh, just to sacrificially give. Um, that doesn't come from us. That, that's the Spirit of God. That's the person of Jesus. Jesus came to Jerusalem knowing the full price that he would pay to meet your greatest need. And he willingly did it. And when his life is in us, that's the kind of stuff that will be in us where we don't consider it too much to lay down our life to help meet the needs of others. That's a way to honor, to, to show the weightiness of our righteous king. But let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for who you are, your character, you are holy, holy, holy. You're righteous and just. You are love and wrath, and all of that is displayed in Jesus, your Son, whom you sent to the earth and who willingly took the role of a servant and laid down his life voluntarily with delight, with joy to do your will to purchase our redemption. And today, Father, we just want to praise you and thank you for your wisdom, for your grace, your mercy, for the gift of Jesus. We're thankful, Jesus, for your willingness to come to Jerusalem knowing that you would die, coming to be a servant, laying down your life, giving sacrificially uh, to meet our greatest need. You you are worthy of all worship and honor and glory. And I pray that we would be a people who take a message like this that's very familiar, uh, but don't get too used to it. Help us to be a people who, who receive the King, who obey the King, who honor the King with how we live our lives. You've, you've called us to that. You've equipped us for that. You empower us for that. You deserve this. And so, Father, help us to be a people who lay down our lives willingly to serve others for the glory of your matchless name. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing our closing song.
Um, thank you for your worship leading. Um, so on Friday, we have our uh, Good Friday service. Uh, starts at 7 o'clock. Uh, Sunday morning, uh, the following Sunday morning, uh, Resurrection Sunday, we'll have breakfast here at 9 o'clock and the service to follow at, 9, uh, at 10.30. And speaking of uh, breakfast, we would look for some volunteers right after the service to help set up uh, our fellowship hall for that meal. Let us pray and be dismissed. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for this time of worship, of singing, of uh, reading your word, and uh, preaching of the word. And Lord, especially as we consider the week before, before Christ's death on the cross, um, we see his power displayed, but more importantly, we see a humility that is far beyond our comprehension. Lord, many times we think too highly of ourselves when we take our eye off of the Lord and, and think we are sacrificing for something when he has given us the perfect example of self-sacrifice. And so, Lord, I pray that as we reflect on this coming week and the things that are coming on Friday, that we would look at a real example of humility in Jesus. We thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. We are dismissed. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting